Welcome to the American Thoracic Society Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology podcast series on pediatric PAP adherence. This is the second podcast in the series. Today, we will discuss utilizing alternative PAP supplies, such as alternative mass as a RAM cannula, and alternatives to PAP therapies, such as high-flow nasal cannula utilization and practice. This podcast includes pediatric pulmonary, psychology, and sleep specialists nationally, and is an open discussion of our different practices between practitioners and patients. Our panel includes, in no particular order, Dr. Kelly Lee Harford, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Roberta Liu, pediatric sleep physician at the Emory and Children's Pediatric Institute in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Wendy Ward, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Supriya Jampikar, pediatric pulmonologist at Arkansas Children's in Little Rock, Arkansas, Dr. Allison Clark, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Stephen Sheldon at Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago and the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, Dr. Daniel Lewin, pediatric psychologist and sleep specialist at the Sleep Health and Wellness Center in Santa Barbara, California, Miriam Weiss, pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's National in Washington, D.C., Drs. Marnie Nagel and Amy Morris, pediatric sleep psychologist at Chalk Children's Hospital, and I am Dr. Ashana Chin, pediatric pulmonologist and sleep physician at Chalk Children's. I am part of the ATS SRN committee. For everyone's titles, please listen to the introduction in our first podcast. This is a discussion on how our different practices nationally tackle alternatives to PAP and MASK in our team-centered clinics. For our practice at CHOC Children's, depending on a patient's age, diagnosis, and weight, we will utilize alternative masks such as a RAM cannula and face shields. In a handful of patients, we have discharged patients on high-flow nasal cannula but have uh, difficulty getting approval. Often, the discharge home on high-flow nasal cannula is reserved for our palliative care patients and not our standard OSA population. We have, we have used the, the uh, high-flow nasal cannula in a large number of patients. And in fact, it was one of our um, uh, uh, quality assurance, quality management um, projects. And we, we do have some data on it. They were, the, the patients were not uh, patients with just tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. These were all um, very, very complex patients. Um, patients with achondroplasia or Down syndrome where there was not a mask in the world that would fit them. Um, patients with cruzones and aperts where the masks would fit over their, eye, their eyes and cause significant problems. And we used, we used the high-flow nasal cannula with success. Uh, it, it really did um, decrease the AHI. It wasn't as, perf- as perfect as, as CPAP but uh, it did improve oxygen, oxygenation, um, and it did decrease uh, carbon dioxide levels significantly. So just to clarify, you're using the hypo-nasal cannula on a hypo-nasal cannula home machine and sending home the patient on that, correct? And Airvo, we use the Airvo 2. And we have the Airvo 2 uh, in the laboratory for titration. I think we now have two of them, um, but we use them and titrate them. Uh, we did a, a, uh, an analysis of the pressure uh, that, that uh, 
was at at the end of the cannula, not what was being blown by the by the flow generator. And you have to uh, blow a lot of air to get significant pressure. I think that we we were up to 12 liters a minute and we're getting four to five centimeters of water pressure on the manometer. Can anybody else utilizing high flow nasal cannula instead of top therapy for their special pediatric population? We have a very few patients on it, like less than a handful. Um, and those are kids where they've undergone multiple upper airway surgeries. They've really worked hard between the provider and Dr. Harford trying to get them compliant and are just absolutely not tolerating PAP therapy. Then we will get the airvo, air but um, our challenge has been, been trying to create a setup to accurately titrate it in the lab. So I was curious, Dr. Sheldon, if you, if you had any advice in terms of like how you set up that um, pressure sensor? Well, we don't use the pressure sensor. That was just an experiment that we oh, okay. sitting down and, and measuring pressure at the, at the nasal prongs together okay. using a manometer on the nasal prongs okay. uh, one afternoon. <laughs> there was some time and we just sat down and, and measured it. Um, so it's, flow, it's the flow that's titrated. We have a whole flow protocol for the technologist to follow. Uh, and it depends on the age of the patient. Mm -hmm. The younger the patient uh, will increase by a liter per minute. The older patient can go two or three liters per minute um, increase. And we'll, and it, once we get to a certain level, of, the carbon dioxide is fine and we're controlling, um, we're controlling most of the, the events, but, but there's still a little bit of oxygen desaturation. We'll have a TCM monitor monitoring the patient because we can monitor end tidal CO2. Okay. Um, and 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 then we'll add bleed in a little bit of supplemental oxygen if we need to increase the SpO2. Okay. So you're basically titrating based off of what the SpO2 and the transcutaneous CO2 values are. And 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 we look um, at. Uh, the, the alternative techniques that uh, Christian Guimino suggested mm -hmm. back in 2004, looking at respiratory efforts mm -hmm. um, and, and the respiratory, the chest and abdominal channels, looking for changes, periodic changes in respiratory rate and effort, where there's increase, increase, gradual increase in effort and increasing respiratory rate with arousal back to baseline, increasing respiratory rate and arousal. And that correlates pretty well uh, with the AHI scored with airflow channels as well. So we use it as a polysomnogram. Yeah. <laughs> Not, Thank you. Yeah, that's how we've done it too. So I just, I just wanted to check. Um, and I was just curious, there was also... Um, it's been a couple of years, but there was one really small study where someone used an OptiFlow and they connected it to an actual CPAP machine, but most of their patients were infants and young toddlers. There was one teenager who had CP. Has anyone tried doing that? I tried hooking it up and the adapters don't fit. Okay. You have to make a special adapter. Ah. 
we we tried to to do that. The 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 second problem is that when you have a CPAP flow generator, the pressures are, are dissipated because it narrows down so significantly. So the so the pressure at the machine is actually higher, much higher than mm-hmm. the pressure at the at the uh, can, cannula end. I thought I would um, just throw out there a little bit um, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum from the high flow, nas- high flow nasal cannula. Um, we actually recently um, have prescribed one of our um, teenage neuromuscular patients which with more unusual craniofacial um, um, structure and we tried many different masks on him and the one that fit him best was a fit life total face mask so that like goes completely around his face and we no he would never use that mask and it's the only one that he tolerates he does pretty well he has a nurse to make you know to throughout the night to ensure there's no you know aspiration, if he were to vomit, you know, mom knows not to use it if he has, you know, GI symptoms or vomiting or things like that. But we were pretty shocked and, you know, now know that we're open to that option, but I thought I would um, throw that out there. How how do you get around the, uh, the ocular issue? Do you have an ophthalmologist monitoring the patient too? Yeah. So he's also, yes, he's also followed by the ophthalmologist. All right. Unless anybody has anything else to add, I think we might need to even break up podcast one into two sections, but that was wonderful. So I, I just had, can, oh, I just had yeah. one question about the airway. How easy it is for you to get it from the, you know, get it for the patient at home? Because I've never tried. So you have to write a lot of letters of medical necessity and do a lot of peer to peer. Yeah. And so basically you have to argue that you've done everything else possible and you're basically at the end of the road. <laughs> and even still, we've had it be rejected. It, yeah. it, 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 the, the, if, you, if you present it as it's either a tracheostomy with a 24-hour nurse or the airvo, then they tend to listen a little bit better. This is now the end of this podcast, and we would like to thank you for joining us.